Hi, my name is Brandon Krieger. In today's Daily Cyber, we're gonna be interviewing Summit. Summit is the Director of Communications and Knowledge Mobilization at Rogers Cybersecure Catalyst. Summit brings extensive experience as a business strategist helping organizations embrace technology and transform digitally. As an entrepreneur, Summit has led two technology startups from inception to commercialization and acquisition. He also spearheaded the development of three emerging technology programs at Seneca College and has helped develop applied research and knowledge mobilization frameworks at large academic institutions. His own research has focused on data governance, AI, and ethics and driving behavioral change through immersive digital environments. Summit sits on Ryerson's University's Research Ethics Board and holds an honor degree in economics and finance from the University of Toronto and a master's degree in digital media from Ryerson University. So you can tell this is going to be an amazing interview with a lot of information about cybersecurity, what's going on in the cybersecurity industry, and just looking at you know how Rogers is using their resources to be able to help the cybersecurity industry, you know, just evolve and become better. So grab a coffee, grab a tea, and let's hack at it. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and government contractual mandates. Yosato's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. Yosato offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. Yosato can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. So hi, Summit. How's your day? Fantastic. Uh, it's a beautiful, sunny day out here and, uh, you know, good to be chatting with you, man. You know, the one great thing about being in kind of the GTA and the Toronto is kind of the weather that we get to deal with, right? Some days it's nice and rainy and then some days it's just so warm and, and sunny. I, you know, it does a lot to lift uh, the spirits, especially at this time when uh, people are finally getting to take a peek outside, step a foot outside, having a nice sunny day helps. So it's exciting. You know, the funny thing is last weekend, I saw more people outside in the, because I live around the old mill area. There are actually more people barbecuing and kind of have their little mini kind of camping in in that area than I've ever seen since I've been in this area for 20 years. It was literally packed little family units of like camping, barbecuing. It was amazing to see. It's all that pent up energy, right? People are finally looking for some connection. Even if it's with just close friends and family, they're, they're small circles. Just an opportunity to um, actually experience people's energy in person. It's a whole different beast. And like you said, just kind of get out, get yeah. out of like the, your apartment, your house, your condo, whatever that may be, and just be outside, kind of breathe, walk around because it's been what, like four, four months, just almost five months now that we've been kind of all trapped in, you know, isolated. Now it's time that we want to go out, especially in the summer where everyone wants to do something, be active. I know. I'm glad it's finally here because uh, I'll say four months uh, feel like a year. Uh, these last four months have been long uh, and I'm sure everybody feels that way. So 
uh, a chance to get out, see people around, even if you're not directly hanging out with people, but even just to see people around and see that um, you know, there's, there's excitement again in the air, there's some concerns and considerations being made, but at the same time, people are starting to feel a sense of normality. I think that's a, that's a step forward. Oh, exactly. Now, talking about normality, what are you seeing on the business side and kind of in the cybersecurity world? Because everything's changed. Like, in, from my perspective, you're seeing just everything's kind of been flipped upside down with business continuity, the landscape of companies, and now people working remotely from home. Like, what are you seeing? I think, you know, you, you hit it on the head, which is uh, we are seeing an evolution of how businesses are going to be operating, not just now, but in the future. I, right. the, the interesting time right now is that we're seeing a shift that is likely going to be a permanent one. Uh, so we're not just dealing with a pandemic, uh, but we are dealing with an actual disruption in how businesses, people, uh, and of course our industry as cybersecurity will operate going forward. Uh, digital transformation is, is a word that's being tossed around for many years, but I think it holds a renewed meaning and purpose now, and we're seeing both uh, companies, public sector, private sector, uh, you know, policies being driven by that. that. That's a change that is required and there's a lot of effort that's going to go into that. And by digital transformation, it means different things to businesses of different sizes, right? Uh, a small, medium business has never really thought about this the same way as uh, large businesses who have been planning around it, have taken some steps towards it, are, you know, miles ahead. So I think we have to start thinking about what that means. Uh, in terms of cybersecurity, of course, but also as just as a larger uh, space that we have to think about and consider as small, medium businesses, how are they going to operate? What does a you know, two-man mon pa shop do? What does a 10-man startup do? What does a 25-person you know, small business do? Um, and often I think, in, uh, at least in the Canadian context, we think about small, medium businesses as zero to 100 people. But right. a, lot of, uh, a lot of times we forget that that range actually has so many sub-segments within it uh, to who digital transformation means very different things. And so we, we're seeing that happen on our end as well. We are, we're starting to see that companies are reaching out to us, uh, organizations are reaching out to us, uh, as well as you know, members of community, institutions, public sector are saying, how do we help these businesses start to think about things differently, how to operate differently, how to conduct business online? And as they do that, there's a direct impact on some key areas. You know, things like uh, credit card payments, customer data, privacy and security. Uh, and then also knowing that a lot of these businesses may now be operating from a home-based environment. So things like home networks and, uh, you know, connecting to cloud computing services. These are all things that I think we have to take into consideration as we move forward. Uh, I think larger organizations, uh, because they've been doing a lot of this digital transformation work, have a different uh, set of uh, considerations, uh, which are really around their entire employee base is now moving to working from home. When right. is that return going to happen? What percentage of employees are going to return uh, to a well, physical even if even if, if they're going to return, yeah, okay. right. That's what some of the some of the conversation that I'm hearing is if they're going to return, because some of them, like I've heard, is that they're looking at downsizing their office space. They're looking at maybe if they've had a lease, not renewing the lease because why why do we need that if our team right now and this is something i'm hearing if our team is as efficient or even more efficient being at home why do we need this office space why are we spending 
30, 40, $50,000 a month in, in, in office space when we don't need it? I think we are going to have to redefine what corporate workspaces mean. Right? And there's right. different models that float around, right? From maybe this is a place where you build culture, right? right. Uh, but then the work is happening from home. And I think that's an important consideration is what happens to uh, an organization's culture when you are not working within close proximity with each other from a centralized location. Uh, right. Uh, but that, you know, that's certainly a conversation a lot of organizations are having uh, alongside conversations of, well, how do we support people in their technical needs when working from home? Uh, people right. had, we, we forced organizations and forced employees to consider some of those details. And, and frankly, uh, as I'm seeing it, a large number of employees, especially within smaller, mid-sized businesses, the employees are responsible for figuring out that answer for themselves. Uh, right. At least large organizations have protocols around, you know, use a VPN connection and, you know, what's your firewall like. But uh, when you think about uh, small, mid-sized organizations, they're doing this for the first time. And so it's that, that burden has fallen on employees. Uh, and so education, going back to, you know, the crux of it, education awareness around some of these things has never been more important. Now, talking about that, you said, it, you know, the employees are figuring out, do you think it's, you know, we hear this in security and, I, and I'm sure you under, you get this as well, is that the top down, bottom up approach, right? That it should be the, the leaders of the company influencing what technology, if it's VPN, if it's endpoint protection, should be the ones kind of influencing, you know, the team and the staff and their employees of what solution to be able to use, not... One's using Semantic, one's using Trend Micro, one's using uh, Kapersky, one's using whatever, right? It should be a unified front. Front, like, what do you think about that? I think that we we know that. I think being in the industry, <laughs> we know that that's an important consideration. Uh, but I will point out that, and you've probably been privy to this discussion as well. There's still a lot of work to be done at the C-suite when it comes to consideration for cybersecurity, right? Right. There's. Um, the policies that have been implemented are largely at a departmental level or in some cases at an organizational level, but to get the buy-in of the C-suite is still an ongoing challenge that a lot, a lot of organizations uh, have to deal with. And if we aren't counting on that top-down approach, then that means we have a lot of work to do. Uh, right. And so what, what employees have been left to do is say, I understand the importance of it. Let me see whatever I can do to make sure that I at least protect myself and my home network and, and the work that's, uh, that I'm doing, not recognizing that there is an impact when different folks are using different platforms or software. Uh, so I think we, have, we certainly have a lot of work to do. The C-suite is catching on. I, I would say, especially now, at least from what the results show, uh, the right. consideration being placed on cybersecurity, the investments being made in cybersecurity have risen tremendously. Uh, because right. that recognition was forced upon us. Uh, but there, it's still a dollars and cents conversation. Right. Uh, and, and I think when we shift from a dollar and cent conversation to uh, business impact, business operational impact, business reputational impact, uh, then that conversation starts to become more meaningful. Uh, and, I, and those are the kind of conversations I find we're having with C-suites right now. So let's kind of talk about that. Because, I mean, I'm having the same type of conversations where, you know, you're looking at, especially with COVID-19, they're forecasting not just six months, one year out. It's sometimes, you know, week to week, day to day that a lot of the C-suite are forecasting because as things transition here in Ontario, we're going through phase one, phase two, and phase three of rolling out of people going back to work and business companies starting to open up again. But 
you know, they're forecasting on an ongoing basis to see what does that mean? And, you know, some of the companies like I'll use the example retail, they're trying to say like, we went, you know, from, you know, say 60% in store, you know, customers to 80% re, uh, like e-commerce, right? Where uh, most of our customers were still shopping, but they're shopping now online. Now, what does that mean for our retail store? And then what's the forecasting and, you know, supply chain and all that. And I bring that up is because when we talk about security on that standpoint, it's very hard to get the C-suite buy-in forecasting because they're trying to see a business continuity. And I don't know if, you know, what are you seeing on your side for that conversation uh, on the lines of business continuity as well as when it comes in with aligns with risk, security, you know, and all those areas. What are you kind of seeing on your side in that conversation? I think business continuity planning, again, has... Uh it's taken on a new meaning because right now, because of the pandemic, uh, business continuity has been uh, the plans that were originally created were created for scenarios uh, that were predictable. And the, right. the scenarios uh, that this uh, COVID-19 has brought around are unpredictable. We're still in a state of speculation. So business right. continuity planning uh, it, it is much harder to do in a state of speculation. Uh, right. And I see that as being an ongoing pressure. Uh, people are still thinking what's going to happen three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now. Uh, and, and so I think the structure of our business continuity plans has, uh, has taken on a new shape of itself. And, and people are starting to think about uh, the immediate term, shorter term, you know, a little longer. And then what, what, uh, what happens a year from now? And those are all very, very different scenarios. Uh, and right. that goes uh, the same for uh, all of those areas. How do you plan risk? when you're speculating, uh, your algorithms are changing all the time around those uh, risk modeling, right? Your, predict, your predictive modeling scenarios are based on uh, areas you can predict. Uh, but, uh, and even though you're doing multiple scenarios, we're talking about things that we never um, encounter and things uh, we don't have historical data on. Right. So, uh, so I see that being a real challenge, but seeing that, I think there's a lot of amazing work happening. I think. Uh, what organizations have done is uh, taken, uh, you know, they're taking the learning from the situation and saying, listen, it was time for a change. Uh, right. We actually don't need to plan on how to deal with this situation. We actually need to plan for how we are going to conduct business in the future period. Um, right. and, and that, I think, is, is having a major influence on, on the way organizations are reshaping themselves. Uh, and and I, I think that's happening in a really holistic way. Because now they're considering things like, what does logistics look like? What do people, uh, what role do people play? What role do you know, office spaces play? What role does online uh, business play? Where are we going to now be building relationships? And how are we mm -hmm. going to be building those relationships? And then of course, in the areas of security, we are now are starting to invest in infrastructure that is going to uh, get us ready for situations like this going forward. But not just that, it is going to get us ready for an era of uh, digitization and digital transformation, which we know has been coming uh, for a long time. We just thought we could take small steps along the way and kind of you know, passively uh, get on that, um, uh, on that bandwagon. But now we're saying it, it's time for us to invest and think this through, bring on talent that understands this, you know, do employee awareness. Uh, training across the entire organization, so everybody understands the importance of the stuff, uh, and that's where I see real change happening, which is which is exciting. I think innovation that comes out of this uh, in all areas, business continuity, but all areas of operation is is going to be really exciting. 
Now, when you're talking about data, something that was, yeah, you brought up a good point. You know, what I've been seeing, and I would love to hear your insight. Are you seeing more companies moving towards the cloud now because of this pandemic? A lot of their on-prem all of a sudden went up to the cloud. We are. We, we are seeing uh, a major shift there, especially because uh, organizations that had never considered it are now being forced to operate in that model. Um, you know, cl cloud is still a word that a lot of people don't fully understand. Um, right. Uh, it's, uh, uh, and, and people are trying to figure that out. And um, I, I think, you know, when I think of cloud computing, my, my lens goes back to areas, of course, of security and areas of data. Right. right, data collection. Uh, we by default, and this is something that's being uh, talked about by many senior leaders, including you know leaders at Microsoft, is this idea of data itself being a risk. Right. Uh, of course, we we found platforms and systems where we're uh, collecting this data, where we're managing this data, but we are still not really thinking about data governance in a way that we can right. uh, we can start to limit or eliminate some of the threat associated with the over collection of data. Uh, okay. and, and I find that to be something that people are starting to now think about a little bit because uh, when you're in investing in, in infrastructure, you also want to make sure you streamline the processes and the type of data and you know, all the systems that are connecting to, uh, to your central infrastructure. Uh, and, and it's giving them a renewed sense of urgency around thinking around things like data governance and its impact on security. Uh, right, and and that to me is a step in the right direction. Right, and I think one thing I would, I want to add to that is that people, when they're moving to the cloud, they have to understand security, and a lot of them have this shared model, right? So shared responsibility of security, where most people think if it's Amazon or if it's Azure or if it, you know it's Microsoft or you know Google, whatever that may be, they're secure. They they are going to hold on to the security, but it's shared security model where they'll secure the actual hardware, the infrastructure, the data center, whatever that may be. But what you put on it is your responsibility. And I think some people need to take that into consideration because they don't really understand that once you put it up there, it's not doesn't mean it's secure. You know, you, whatever the application, if it's software as a service, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, whatever that may be, it's up to you to harden it. It's up to you to secure it. Absolutely. You, you raise a fantastic point, Brandon. I was at a, a session recently for small, medium businesses. And that was the exact question they asked is that if I, uh, you know, if I use the Google Drive, am I secure? It's because there's a lot of uh, misinformation around what cloud means. Just because you are with a larger provider doesn't mean you don't have to, one, do your due diligence. And second, do, uh, you know, uh, some basic uh, things, even things like access control, for instance. Uh, how do you make sure that you regulate uh, who or what can view what data, <laughs> right? That something as simple as that can have a major impact on your, uh, on your security uh, within the organization. And of course, right. within the cloud, there's uh, multiple things you have to consider, right? You're looking at misconfiguration as being a potential issue. You're looking at compromised credentials as being an issue, uh, weak access management, and then going back to data jurisdiction, data governance, um, right. uh, you know, you, you sort of lose visibility into where your data is actually stored. And sometimes you uh, forget about things like regulatory compliance, like GDPR or Pepita or uh, PCI, you know? So those are things that I think uh, folks need to understand that this is a mutual uh, responsibility and that they have mm -hmm. to do their work uh, irrespective of the platform they're using. 
And one thing I'd recommend for people to listen to this is if you are going to the cloud, have somebody help you or audit it after the fact. Uh, one thing is I was talking to a company, uh, I think it was last week, it was about third-party validation, right? Having another company, like if you have a team working on it and setting up the cloud, have a third-party validate their work. Don't have them validate the work just because they might have made a mistake. They might have rushed it. They might have been busy. They might have been short staff. All the stuff that's going on with COVID-19, they got it up. They got it running. It's functioning, but doesn't mean it's completely secure. So having a third party evaluate it and then give you a report and then that you're able to kind of go back. And if there's any remediation, then you get it done. And then at least you have confirmation that, you know, on both sides is not that because I found like some companies were getting the same company to validate and they're like, yeah, it should be secure. And they're just kind of going off a check sheet versus going in and doing a, you know, a real audit. And maybe it's like, uh, MSP, which is a managed, you know, security, uh, actually it's a managed IT service provider where they're great at setting up incidents and they're, but when it comes to security, they might not be as strong, right. on that area. So making sure you have that audit, because again, the worst thing I've heard so far is people get up and they go, yeah, we're secure. And all of a sudden SQL set up with admin and men, you know, the default, right. And you're like, well, how did you know? Well, you know, that's one area that, you know, our pen testers check, you know, if you have a SQL incidence, they check to see if the default password still set there. And sometimes, you know, I've heard this in security where it's just one of those things. They've left it there because they're stalling it. They're, you know, it's kind of their back door. And then all of a sudden they've left it because they got busy doing something else. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a critical point is make sure you, one, you find the right organization uh, and uh, who can help you with the, you know, with pen testing, but also, uh, make sure that's an important part of your process. And I also say, even beyond that, and, and we know this again because, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is well-known fact in, in, in our industry is uh, just because you've done that doesn't mean the work stopped, right? So create an internal audit process. Make sure there's a frequency with which it is happening. Uh, make sure that responsibility is passed along to a critical person uh, within your organization uh, and, and that's uh, audit is an ongoing part of their responsibility and their mandate, uh, because especially in current times, we're seeing uh, you know a lot of changes happening in the way attacks are happening. We're seeing uh, uh, innovation happening within the you know hacker world and hacker communities. So we have to be ready to think about how secure our systems are against all of those uh, potential threats that are coming, because the threat landscape, frankly, is evolving at a rapid rate. Right. Now, talking about innovation, and well, I want to finish off the one thing, one point of the cloud security. Uh, I think one thing that you're saying when it comes to overall auditing, you know, shared responsibility, and looking at kind of having that process going, make sure you have, you know, a couple people too that's doing that job. It's not the one, right? Sometimes we've seen this, you know, I'm sure in security where it's John, and John's the only one that does that. Well, then John moves on, and then they're going, well, what, what do we do? Like, what happened? And then I, like I heard one company two weeks ago that their whole systems went down and they didn't know what was going on because John was the only one that could do that. So make sure that you, you know, transfer in information, you have kind of rotational duties, things like that too, just to make sure that the business continuity can keep going. If anything does happen and you lay off John that, you know, someone else, you know, Jim can take over. Listen, security has to be baked into the culture of an organization going forward. That's, uh, that's the bottom line. And employee awareness has to happen. And of course, there are people who are going to lead that responsibility. But I think, you know, as a whole, organizations need to think about employee awareness, right? They, they are our first line of defense, period, uh, is our people. Sure. And so uh, a lot of the work that we are doing, especially at the uh, Catalyst, is around 
building that awareness, helping you know small medium businesses. We're doing uh, a lot of uh, awareness uh, training for them, and we're actually in the process of launching some programs. Uh, we're doing a lot of uh, awareness training for corporates. Uh, we're you know so I think generally we have to uh, make sure that we can continue to communicate that security is not an IT function. It is an right. organizational responsibility. And that means that responsibility has to be baked into the culture and be transferred uh, to your employees. But again, responsibility without uh, education, without training, without uh, some level of accountability uh, falls flat on its head. So we need to make sure that we're thinking about a process with which we are designing a security culture within our organization. So talk a little bit about that, because I mean, you know, that's how we met was kind of through the uh, the Ryerson Catalyst and what you guys are doing. Talk a little bit about, you know, what your goal is as, you know, an organization and kind of some of the things that you're working towards. Yeah. So the Rogers Cybersecure Catalyst, which is housed out of Ryerson University, uh, is is an interesting organization. I, I always uh, I always think, you know, there's so many different facets to the work that we're doing. Um, and, and I'll share, give you a quick overview. Our, our goal is to empower uh, organizations and people with the knowledge, the resources, and the support that are required to think about cybersecurity as a key uh, element of their of their lives as well as of their digital lives as well as their organizational operations. Uh, okay. And to do that, we really uh, take a very holistic uh, view of it, which is we have an uh, awareness and training, which is a huge part of it. So training and certification under which we run. Uh, something called an accelerated cybersecurity training program, which is uh, built in collaboration with one of the world's leading providers of cybersecurity education, SANS. Uh, right. And uh, what we've done with this program is, with the support of our uh, sponsors and our funders, uh, Rogers, RBC, uh, the federal government, the city of Brampton, we've built a program that actually is, at this point, uh, targeting three uh, very specific groups women in cybersecurity, uh, uh, new Canadians in cybersecurity, so uh, okay. folks who have recently come into Canada, and lastly, displaced workers uh, who have been displaced because of whether for results of automation or technology, but are looking to uh, change careers. Uh, so now, so now I want to have a question for you. So these areas, and that's great you're hitting those core because, I mean, it's those areas that need it most for, you know, women are trying to break into cybersecurity and there's really getting a foothold in it, which is great. You know, and you said, you know, immigrants coming to the country, they're looking for work and it's such a massive industry. And then people that get, you know, even COVID-19 and all the layoffs. But what area of cybersecurity are you guys training in? Is it, you know, more managerial compliance like CSSP? Are we talking like hackers and pen testers and kind of that side? Or is it both? At this point, they go through their GF certification. Uh, okay. And so uh, we're still largely uh, training, uh, you know, the uh, the frontline uh, Jack folks who are, um, and, and and from there we are now looking at what that next step looks like in terms of additional uh, certifications that they can get, how we can support them through that. But we find that uh, when we spoke to organizations, that was a layer uh, of resources that they were actively looking for, and there was a shortage of them. Um, okay. And. And, you know, going back to why we are looking at those diverse communities, I mean, listen, there's marginalized communities, and of course, we want to support them. And there's uh, a lot of those groups that I think we can support in thinking about new careers. But putting on the cybersecurity industry hat for a second, we need diversity in cybersecurity. And mm -hmm. by diversity, I don't mean just uh, people, color, race. I actually mean diversity of thinking, 
diversity right. of experience, diversity of backgrounds. Uh, because we are talking about dealing with an industry where attacks are not happening just locally. We are talking right. about a very unique sensibility influenced by culture from uh, across the world. Uh, mm -hmm. we are, uh, so we need that sort of diversity of thinking to be a part of our industry, which has largely been lacking because diversity is a cybersecurity problem. Uh, well, let me let me add something to that. And I think diversity has been lacking in the sense of cybersecurity is not an easy career either. And I want to kind of put that out for people that they think, oh, I'm just going to do this program and that's it. I have a career for life. It's actually a lot of work, right? It's something that's ongoing training, ongoing evolution, and it never stops. You ha you're a student of cybersecurity once you get in the field. So if someone's looking for a job and gets laid off and it's something you're passionate about, no doubt about it. Go for it. But if you're looking for a paycheck, it's not the right career. It's not the right career to go into because it's a lot of it's hard work. Anyone I've talked to in the industry loves what they do, even though it's hard. It's certifications, training. You know, you're looking at you know manufacturers of different products from Cisco, Checkpoint, all that. Always learning their newest, greatest thing. You're always learning. So I just want to put that out there that some people are watching this, thinking, "Hey, I want to be in cybersecurity." Just get a caveat, like you got to know it's it's a little bit of work and it's going to maintain that work, but that's what gives you this long career. Uh, that's well said, Brandon. I think, uh, you know, even within our program, there is a aptitude test built in collaboration with SANS. Uh, we make sure that we, uh, we are looking for people who have that type of aptitude, uh, can apply that sort of lens. And there is a lot of work. Uh, and they recognize that. Our, our program is 20 weeks. Uh, that's why the accelerator, accelerated cybersecurity training program uh, we cover a lot of ground uh, with a lot of experts at play who are sharing their experiences and their life's work uh, with these right. students. So uh, it is a lot of work. Uh, but, but we're finding that, um, you know, a, a lot of our students are rising to that challenge. Uh, but uh, it's interesting when you actually encounter folks that you would never have thought would want to get into cybersecurity and they approach you and, and you see their aptitude for it and you just go, wow. I mean, we are not talking enough about the opportunities that people can have in our space. I, uh, I think cybersecurity, uh, we know, has been important for a very long time. But finally, it is getting some attention where people are noticing and considering it as a career choice. And we have to continue down that path. Right. And I think it's it's going to be one of those things, and like IT, I think it's always going to be an evolution of there's going to be a gap, there's going to be that space. It's just because there's so much you need to know. And then the ones like you're saying, the great ones that have that fortitude, have that resilience, want to learn, amazing, right? And and keep going. And I think that's why you're, we're starting to see a little bit of growth, but I think it's a hard thing to do because on my side, when I hear people, you know, they get one year, two years in, and they're going, um, I didn't know it was going to be this much work. Like, I didn't know I was going to have 10 projects on my plate, have to do my certifications. And then when I get home, I have two hours of studying to keep going on top of everything else. I don't know if I can sustain this. And it's got to be that mindset, like you said, is, no, this is not something I'm sustaining. This is my job and, I and my passion. I love mm -hmm. to do it. it. It goes back to, again, uh, you know, Training, again, has to have a culture associated with it. we got to start early. Um, part of the work that we are doing at the Catalyst is, again, about how to uh, introduce these choices, these career options early uh, into uh, our youth's uh, you know, mindset in their lives. Uh, and so we, we actually have a program we're rolling out for K-12 as well, which is nice. all around um, thinking about 
experiences that can uh, get, get them engaged early on, allow them to test their aptitude early on, uh, and start to consider some of these careers uh, early on and take them out of the cybersecurities, uh, black hatter, you know, hoodie in a dark basement sort of thing, which is appealing to a certain group of uh, youth, but uh, we know that actually that's not the case. Uh, and so uh, some of our work, again, is uh, from a uh, knowledge mobilization perspective, as well as just, a, uh, you know, um, uh, we, we want to start thinking about public education and cybersecurity. K to 12 is a key uh, initiative for us so, so that, again, we can start feeding um, them into our, our industry sooner rather than later. Which is good. I mean, it's so important, like you said, even, even if they don't go into the field itself, at least they have awareness and knowledge of technology and security and what needs to be done and, and best practices. So when they're in a company, an organization, when they're saying, hey, we have to do cybersecurity awareness training, they're, they're invested. They already know the importance of it. Absolutely. Same. It goes back to what are, what are best practices? How do we teach kids the, of that sooner? You know, frankly, I mean, when it comes to uh, security education, I, I strongly believe this. We are teaching kids early on now how to code. We are teaching kids early on how to use digital platforms. But where is the security education? How are we teaching them best practices around password management? How are we teaching them best um, uh, practices around how to access networks, uh, you know, to uh, public networks versus private networks? Right? Those are conversations that we start, need to start having with kids at the same time as we have any other technological discussion or technology discussion, uh, whether it's coding or whether it's the simple use of phones and laptops and uh, tablets. So I think we, we have a lot of work to do, and that's sort of the steps we are taking to uh, engage them early on. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges for that, I remember doing a, a session at a high school, and there's the peer pressure, and because you got like all the social sites too, which is a little bit of a challenge, right? And if you ever watch like TikTok or anything like that, you know, how far it can go a little bit to, you know, to the left where, you know, they could be compromising themselves and pictures and things that they're doing. And they don't realize that when company culture, if the HR person's doing a deep dive of your profiles and everything that's going on, you're doing something that's not fitting the culture of that business. Well, they're not going to even call, give you a call back and they can't, they don't understand why am I not getting interviewed? And I, like I said, I did that uh, talk at a uh, at a high school, and I said, like, by you know, just be warned, like, what you put out now could affect you in you know three, five, even ten years. What you're putting on Facebook, so make sure that you're not putting out things that you wouldn't, you know, put out on a normal day of just you know best practices. You wouldn't show your grandmother kind of that idea, and because you know we never know. Like you know, we've seen stories where someone's done a picture or a post on like i remember that one girl was a social media manager she put a post out and she flew over to africa and by the time she got to africa it went viral she got fired and like the whole thing of it and it was like that's just from one post and you can see just how it can affect you yeah uh, it's it goes back to what we were talking about earlier around businesses we have to plan for business impact uh we right. similarly we have to plan for life impact uh, right? right, and that's something that kids are going to have to learn, and our youth are going to have to get educated on that. Uh, these issues are not just about somebody hacking into your systems. These have an impact on your career, your jobs, but also, I mean, at a, even at a younger age, things like cyberbullying, for instance, uh, is a big concern. So I think again, getting them to understand the impact, not from a place of fear, but from a place of uh, you know knowing how to manage your life, basic life skills. Uh, I think is an important uh, way to look at it as we move forward. 
So yeah, I'm a little bit on the fence there for me. I think there needs to be a little bit of fear for them on a younger, just because kids are resilient. They're always going to kind of push. And I, I mean, I can even speak for myself. I know I push the envelope. You know, you always go a little bit further when you're younger, a little bit further, right? You know, can I, you know, for my bike, like I was riding a BMX bike, can I put it on a wheelie? Can I go on this jump? Can I do this? Can I, and it's just that one thing you keep going. And then with social media, it's just always that one other thing. And I was, remember watching a video on YouTube and it was a company that's out, I think in the States. And I was going to, I'm still ha having to, I want to interview them is they were talking about that. They created a profile of a 12 year old. It was a 12 year old little girl and they posted up online and all of a sudden out of like, I think it was in 15 minutes the flurry of like men that were approaching her and things like that. And it was kind of where they were catfishing, but like in, in the sense that they put that profile there and all these people started to approach her, but it was really, it was someone that was like 30 years old, right? You're managing the account, but that profile they set up that way and they saw so many people, you know, of, you know, negative, I'll call it, you know, culture that was actually messaging them. And it's just to show that you got to be careful when you're online because it might not be who you think. And then on the other side, that it could it look like some guys were young boys, right? 12, 13 year olds. But on the other side of that, it could be actually older men, right? Absolutely. And things that are negative. So that education has got to be a little bit of awareness that, you know, if you don't know this person, you're not, you know, directly connected at school or something, then don't connect with them. Don't start kind of reaching out your, your normal circles and things like that. And there has to be that awareness because as we know that even just that social media aspect is global, right? You can be connected to anyone. And I mean, for us, for business, all that's great because when you're connected to people worldwide, but when you're younger, sometimes you don't know that impact. No, it's a, it's a good point. We, as we're doing some of the work around our K-12 uh, uh, resources, you know, that's an ongoing uh, balance we're looking to strike. Because we, when I say K-12, you know, we're talking as uh, to that uh, third grader as much as we're talking to that 10th grader. And, uh, and, and there's layers of uh, fear, layers of impact, uh, and their understanding around some of this thing. So it's, a, it's actually a really exciting work because it poster, uh, forces us and actually challenges us to really think through, uh, you know, how, how uh, a youngster actually processes this information. And so the instructional design of some of these materials is actually a lot of fun, but also challenging at times. It can be. And my wife is, is an osteopath, an osteopathic manual practitioner, and she's studying a little bit of psychology and, and mental process. And she's saying that, uh, but I think it was until you're 25, a lot of times the instance you uh, you make them larger than they actually are and your actual thinking process, your logic is not as sound until you're like 24, 25 years old. So like, for example, like when you break up with someone when you're younger, it's the end of the world. You'll never meet anyone else ever again, right? As you're older, 25, you're like, well, that's, it's bad. It's terrible. You know, relationships kind of don't work out, but you get to move on. But when you're younger, it's, you know, catastrophizing. Like, oh my God, I'll never meet anyone else again. Uh, you're 13, you have the rest of your life to meet someone out, 14, 15, whatever that may be. Yeah. You have the rest of your life to meet someone else, but the, their mindset. But on the other side, when they're trying to meet someone, I bring this up, you know, oh my God, that person lo loves me or is it, has attention. And then they want to hold on to it. And they're saying, you can't, it's hard to break them into that. That's not good. You'll meet other people. But no, they're the only ones, right? So yeah. it was an interesting psychology. Yeah, you know, it's um, you're absolutely right. And I feel like a discussion around uh, cybersecurity for youth and just in general uh, digitization of life for youth 
there's an important conversation that at least we're trying to have is around uh, the digital divide, which is, right. you know, our lens on all of this is largely North American. Uh, and, but even within North America, what we don't recognize is how many of these kids, how many of these youth, how many people don't actually have access to uh, the right education, to the right resources, or in fact, to the right technology. Right? right. And as we're moving into a world where we are going to see a shift happening, we're, we're on one hand, we're talking about excitement of innovation. And on the other hand, we're still figuring out how to actually get, get people to gain access to a decent network, to a decent uh, hardware device, uh, to even, you know, the Internet. And as uh, kids are going to school, we know that, that there is a large percentage. By large, I mean, we're still talking about, you know, in about 15 to 20 percent of students that don't actually have access to their own computers at home. Right. Wow. Uh, so those are some pretty uh, large numbers. And as we start to think about, you know, the regional disparities that cause that, because I believe digital divide is not just one of, uh, uh, you know, an economic factor is not the only one. We're talking about location. We're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, you know, communities, uh, the specific marginalized communities don't have access to certain things. So uh, we have a lot of work to be done in that space. Uh, and that's where you know, policy is going to play an important role. We are seeing the Canadian government start to make uh, a renewed commitment towards addressing some of those needs, um, okay. which is which is exciting. And I think as part of those policies that get introduced, it's not just going to be access, it's also going to be education, because I believe those go hand in hand. And so education around security, education around, um, you know, how to use systems uh, properly, alongside access to those systems is going to be an important one. Uh, okay. Another area of work at the Catalyst is uh, a new initiative we launched called the Cybersecure Policy Exchange. Uh, okay. And the Cybersecure Policy Exchange really tackles issues of uh, policy as they relate to the cross-section of privacy and security. Mm -hmm. uh, because we believe that's an important connection as we start to think about policy development. And those are, uh, are going to uh, you know, be addressed in different ways, but our mandate, at least for the foreseeable uh, future, at least for the next year, is to really address some issues around, uh, you know, vulnerabilities in uh, Internet of Things uh, and okay. physical, uh, you know, computing devices. We're looking at social media and policies, uh, privacy and security policies that affect social media. We're looking at uh, facial recognition. Uh, okay. We've heard discussions around that uh, at the yep. forefront right now. And those are issues that both have a privacy and a security uh, impact as well. And then, of course, with our uh, with the work that's coming out with contact tracing, uh, we recently did a paper called the Race to Trace, uh, which is all around recommendations of uh, how these contact tracing apps are going to be uh, developed in security as well as privacy considerations that governments are going to have to take into account. Uh, and, and we're seeing a lot of work ha happen there. But again, connecting it back to the last point I made, all of these things, including contact tracing, uh, if they get picked up by let's say employers um, or you know, other, other groups, until we think of legislation and enforcement of such legislation, uh, we are not going to be able to protect those marginalized groups from being impacted uh, differently than, than other people. Right. Uh, and uh, whether that's, uh, you know, that, that results in how employment is tackled, uh, whether it's how landlords uh, you know, rent you spaces, those are all considerations we have to think about. And, uh, that's that's another piece of work that we at the Catalyst really want to uh, focus on and are continuing to focus on. And I think it goes back to what I was saying. Cybersecurity is a is an ecosystem. It has right. multiple facets to it. We cannot look at things in isolation and in silos. 
Uh, we have to start connecting the dots, uh, whether that's education for people or, uh, you know, uh, whether that's education for organizations, uh, whether it's policy work, and then, or whether it's the growth of the industry itself. Um, you know, so we, uh, again, uh, talking about some of the work we are doing, we, we uh, just launched a business accelerator specifically for cybersecurity uh, scale-ups. Uh, right. as in organizations that are part of the cybersecurity industry or the periphery of it, uh, and, and giving them an opportunity to really interact with some leading organizations. We've got some great corporates and residents on board, uh, organizations like Microsoft, Amazon Web Services, Rogers, RBC, who are going to be mentoring these organizations and their founders to really understand what, what growth looks like, but also be, to be able to tap into uh, you know, areas of industry they haven't thought about to uh, give them awareness, to give them an edge in terms of being able to compete at a global level. So that's another really exciting piece of work that we're, that we're doing here. Well, I mean, you guys are making a real big difference in the cybersecurity field and the industry itself. And now the Catalyst, is that only for people that are in Ontario or in Canada? We actually function as one of the national centers for cybersecurity. And our, our goal is to... Uh, evolve and strengthen and empower the entire Canadian landscape when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, Ontario is home, so it gives us some testing grounds to test out projects. You know, we, we get a lot of insight from some key partners here, but our hope really is to continue our impact uh, across the country. Okay, wow, that's that's perfect. I mean, now what about transference of information across the across the pond or, or even just across to the, uh, the United States? Do you guys do share information or...? Absolutely. We, uh, you know, one, there's a lot of learning to be had. Cybersecurity is actually quite a collaborative industry. Uh, and we know this being on the inside that we, there's a lot of sharing of information, sharing of resources, sharing of knowledge. Uh, that's the only way the good guys can actually compete with the bad guys, really. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of collaboration happening. There's a lot of uh, amazing work happening down south uh, as well that we not just keep our eyes on, but also look to continue to uh, collaborate with. But Frankly, uh, it's not just uh, the U.S. or downtown. We, we're actually talking about a global landscape. Uh, okay. Canada has a real opportunity, I believe, in cybersecurity, uh, somewhat like we are doing with AI, is that we have a real opportunity to showcase the brilliance of talent that we have and the, uh, and the really pool of talent and resources we have here in the country, not just in terms of uh, goods and services related to cybersecurity, but also this real thought leadership. And I think right. as a result of that, we're continuing to keep our eyes on what, what's happening uh, in the EU and uh, some of the work that's coming out of there. Uh, we are looking further east as well, where we've had conversations with you know, um, countries like India and organizations there. So our work really is about uh, strengthening the Canadian ecosystem, giving them a platform to compete at a global level but continuing to uh, share resources and collaborate at a global level so we can bring in some of that knowledge and share some of ours back to continue to grow the industry as a whole. Wow. And that's, I mean, I'm sure that's ongoing, right, with the amount of changes and transitions happening worldwide. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's an ongoing piece of work, and it's exciting to see what's happening to our industry and the growth and the evolution that's taking place. Um, you know, like you, like you said, uh, we've been forced into this situation. But I believe we're going to come out of it uh, stronger, at least as an industry, and stronger as uh, as uh, people, and you know our resilience to deal with these situations. Uh, and and I'm glad to see that it's a cross-sector, multidisciplinary initiative, uh, and that's super exciting to me. It's awesome. Now, 
looking at the next six months, what are you what are you seeing that companies should be taking a look at, or even people? Where should they be focusing on their cybersecurity? Uh, focus on their hardening, their policies, procedures. What are you thinking? I, I go back to policies and procedures. I, I go back to what I said earlier: is organizations. You can invest in infrastructure. You can invest in small teams within your organizations to lead that mandate. But at the end of the day, your policies as an organization and how it relates to all business units is going to play an important role. And the second part, part again, is your people. How do you create a culture of cybersecurity within your organization? And you give people that training. You give them those resources uh, and help them understand the impact uh, uh, on business continuity uh, or, or just, uh, you know, when I, when I think about impact, organizations, especially I'd say small and medium businesses, but large organizations as well, uh, cyber insurance is, is a model that a lot of organizations rely on. Uh, and that's a good one. It's an important one. But you also have to think about other areas, right? Like there is mm -hmm. damage that is caused uh, to your customers, to your relationships, to your reputation. Uh, those are all important considerations. And I, I feel policies need to start including all of those pieces as it relates to different business units and be able to convey that effectively uh, to, to, your, to your people so that you can start building that culture. No, it's it's so important, and thank you. I think, you know, anyone that's listening to this or watching this actually should, you know, take a, the next 30 days to kind of review all your policies and kind of see if they've been updated. And, I mean, I think the one thing that I've seen on my side is that, you know, because the landscapes change, they haven't had time to look at all the different changes, right? You know, even look at SLAs and different you know, response times and, you know, your partners that you work with and, you know, vendors. All that now could have been changed because of what's going on. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing like even some small companies are going out of business, right? So if one of your vendors is that small company and you have an SLA with them, now your software or, you know, maybe you have a customized solution goes down. Now you call them and now they're out of business. What do you do, right? Absolutely. I, I would say just to give a, you know, folks uh, who are listening a quick snapshot, you know, one of the first things that a formal policy does is that it shows that you actually care about this stuff and that you're right. willing to do something about it. And I think that's an important step, uh, step right? It, it's something that resonates with your, with your stakeholders, internal or external. It resonates with your teams. Your customers feels like, uh, feel like they, you care for them and that you're working for them. Uh, you know, and then what a formal policy does is uh, it creates a reference points to the resources that you have, the actions you need to take, uh, the processes that you will follow. And, uh, and I think those are important pieces. And it does a few things. It gives you faith in your ability to maintain business continuity should something happen, right? right. Uh, and it empowers uh, your employees to be able to take action effectively. Uh, and I think policies have to take those things into consideration as well. There's those softer areas of effect that often policies get so grounded in, um, in outlining steps that they also have to think about those things uh, and which areas or topics are relevant specifically to your organization. We know the fundamentals, right. firewalls, backups, patching, uh, MFAs, inventory of your assets. All of those are great. But then there are specifics that will depend on the nature of your organization, right? The business it conducts. Well, let's put a point out there. Some of those companies, like even larger companies I've heard, like even today in a meeting, like backup strategy and things like that have now been kind of put aside, right? Just because of everything that's changed and then kind of the COVID-19. So reviewing like going back through your policies almost a checklist now to make sure 
oh yeah, like when's the last time we did this? When's the you know are we you know are we up to date in our patch management? Have we done you know our firewalls and definitions have been up to date? Have 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 have, and it kind of like you said, it shows you to get back in and to reevaluate your business, especially after a hard switch change, you know you know an incident with COVID nineteen, you kind of have to go back and reevaluate. Absolutely, and I I think a few things that everyone should consider. Uh, in addition to some of those points that you mentioned, Brandon, is uh, uh, real-time reporting and response mechanisms right? Right. Uh, that allow you then to conduct your frequent audits, which we talked about earlier. Uh, and then something else, which is uh, going to be really important now going forward, which is uh, a mobile devices policy, <laughs> right? right. Uh, which we know that going forward, because people are working from home, uh, the era of BYOD is, is pretty much going to be there now. Uh, because we will not be able to control uh, which machines people are using to log into systems and networks from. So those are going right. to be important uh, considerations. And the last piece, uh, I think probably one of the most important pieces, uh, which often I see policies miss out on, is how do you link it to an HR process around training your people? Cyber awareness okay. and hygiene need to be a part of every employee's orientation. They need to be reflected in an every employee training program, a part of your uh, PD plan, but above all, it needs to be in that policy document. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's important. And I think one thing I want to add is that you're talking about like the BYOD policy. One thing that if you're listening to this and you're a company and you have remote users, when you have your cybersecurity awareness training, offer that to the family or people that's in the household as well. Right. Because what happens is one of the things that we've looked at as, as a company of cybersecurity, as well as we're looking at, you know, our clients is that their training is for the staff member, but they have people in that home environment that are connecting to the network that are connecting, you know, to, you know, using, you know, Nintendo just got compromised with their accounts just recently. I think it was the last couple of weeks. They've got, you know, game consoles, they've got smart devices, they're doing all this, they've got gaming, you know, on their smart devices, it'd be iPhone, Android, whatever that may be, all on that one network. Well, if one of those devices get compromised, that malware can go through that home network and that VPN is only secure from that device out, not internally, right? So something to kind of, for people to think about when I drew that out for one of our, our clients where they were like, Oh, that's actually a good point. Cause yeah, we're training Joan, for example, and Joan passed and she did it and she has endpoint protection. She has, you know, a virus, but Joan's using her home PC or, the, the antivirus, anti-malware, endpoint protection is not up to date or it's not connecting. She might be out of virus and her little daughter or son is playing a video game and all of a sudden downs, downloads malware. Now it goes out through the home network. You know, when you talk about it, people actually have, you see that eureka moment happen. You're, right. you're like, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, of course that's happening. <laughs> right. and, and I love that part about cybersecurity because there are, when you look at the fundamentals of it, they're actually really simple. They're basic. You can do them uh, and, and you can train everybody around you to do them. You just have to take that extra step like you pointed out. Train the people around your uh, household. Make sure they have access to that, that basic level of education as well. Right. And I think that's one thing we're too, we add on is to the policies. I think the policies might have to extend to if now if you're a remote worker and you're working from home, who's on the network and that policy now has to extend to them. Like if you don't have an isolated VPN and a VLAN and a network and it's only just you and they're connected, now that policy has to state, well, if they're connected, 
their device have to be up to date, their device have to meet a certain standard and have to be up to date of the newest OS, all that has to be done to make sure security is, you know, up to date. If not, if you have an old Microsoft system on your on your network and it's Windows 2000 or Windows XP hasn't been patched, well, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah listen, I, I completely uh, take your point in stride. I think it's an important one, but I, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. Now, it's, uh, I've, I've seen organizations do that. The challenge, again, is how do we keep things inclusive? Uh, we're talking about households that have multiple people working, all accessing the same network, different organizations, policies start to come into effect. Um, uh, you know, and, and students are, or sorry, their kids are going to school, school policies have different uh, needs. And so I think we have to start, and this is a larger conversation, but I, I think we have For to sure. be mindful of, of the fact that we are still in that process where we're figuring out how this change impacts people. Um, impacts parents, impacts, you know, couples impact, uh, that are all working from home, impacts, you know, uh, their parents. If you're living in a uh, household that's got your uh, grandparents living with you, who are also accessing devices and their ability to learn how to manage these devices, right? So I think uh, I, I totally agree. I think all of the points that you mentioned need to be considered, uh, but what also needs to be considered is the support and the resources uh, that we can provide to make sure that we don't start to exclude people or households from being able to uh, get access to what essentially could impact their education, their livelihoods. True. And I, and I see that. And that's why, like, even just an example of the scenario that I was talking about, if one company organization provides training for the family and they get a certification, that son that goes to university now can just take it and say, hey, I've been cybersecurity trained. You know, I, I passed, you know, the cybersecurity training. They could take it to school and say they passed. It doesn't have to be one from the university, one from company A, one from company B, one from company C. It could be if they've passed one, if it's a well-known, no-before, uh, proof point, whatever that may be, that they've passed it, then there you go. You've passed it. You know, the household is secure. I think my only main concern is that the access hackers now, you know, the malicious people know that the home network's not secure. So we, we've seen this, and I'm sure you have too, is the increase of malware, the increase of phishing attacks to company, you know, company employees that now are working remotely about, you know, Black Lives, Don't, um, Black Lives Matter, uh, the COVID-19, the protests are going on, and they're using all this clickbait that people are clicking on, and all of a sudden there's malware in the back or it's a, a site that has malware. And, you know, the home user is going for information and news, but they haven't been cybersecurity awareness trained that, hold on, is that the right address? Is it, you know, is it John Doe at ggmail.com, right? It's the domain spelled completely uh, wrong. Uh, listen, uh, you raise a really, really good point, which is that we are living in an era where there is no shortage of ammunition for social engineering attacks, right? right. Uh, we have lots happening and some really meaningful conversations and people are brought with uh, some with fear, some with a, a real sense of discomfort around, you know, the status quo. And uh, of course, uh, you know, concerns around what future looks like in, uh, in the era of COVID-19. And so these are real, uh, real threats that people are experiencing, real concerns people are experiencing. It's perfect ammunition for uh, attackers to really use that to their advantage. Uh, and I think uh, we have to be mindful of that. And, and to your point, again, the education around that has to be an ongoing thing because mm -hmm. these conversations are not about to stop. If anything, they're about to 
uh, get uh, bigger, wider, stronger. Uh, and so right. I think we need to, we have a lot of work cut out for us. Yeah, and, and that's, I totally agree. It's going to accelerate. And then as the landscape changes, right, it's going to keep accelerating the conversation. And then that's going to help with the fence and depth that the more people in general are aware now the smarter the hackers have to be and then the more aware they are it's just this never-ending battle it's not like a lot of, you know when i first got into cybersecurity, you, the first conversation was that you could always you could be secured that's one solution well now it's you know it's detect uh, detect respond and, and then remediate right it's it's no longer this kind of like okay you put this one solution in and then you're completely secure it's like no no. First, you know, we want to how quickly can we detect it? How quickly can we respond? And how fast can we remediate and get back up and going? And now that's giving the better understanding of how cybersecurity really works and technology works. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that sort of education is going to be an ongoing thing. Uh, I, you know, I, I would say we as, a, as an industry actually do a fantastic job of putting out resources for people. Mm -hmm. There's so much stuff out there. We really try to share knowledge, keep it up to date. There's both uh, you know, critical thinking conversations around this stuff happening. Uh, there's a lot of uh, practical uh, conversations around this happening. And and I, uh, one thing I always say is, go out there, look for those resources there at your fingertips. There's frameworks available for organizations to leverage. There are, uh, you know, organizations are are willing to help you. Uh, if you if you need a third party vendor, approach them. There's specialized ones for your industry where there's generalized ones who can help you across the board. There's a lot of really uh, good stuff out there that people can tap into. And I encourage everybody to continue to do that, to stay uh, on top of what you just mentioned, which is how do you stay up to date with some of this stuff? For sure. And there's a lot of resources, like even like you said, YouTube, podcast, you name it. Like there, There's just amount of information. Just pick one and start to kind of learn and educate yourself. Right. Now, I got a question for you. Like, Where's the best way for people to get more information about what you're working on? Uh, absolutely. So uh, our website is cybersecurecatalyst.ca, uh, or you can access us through Ryerson University and look for Rogers Cybersecure Catalyst. Uh, we share a lot of our work through our website. Also, uh, check, out, uh, check out our Twitter account, which is CA underscore cybersecure. Uh, and uh, we're also on LinkedIn as Cybersecure Catalyst. Uh, so there's lots of different avenues. Uh, our work is all around uh, making sure that we continue to educate people and share resources with people. So you'll see us very active in that in social media uh, and uh, engaging with different uh, platforms to continue to share our views on it. Do you have a YouTube channel as well? We do. Uh, our YouTube channel is a recent launch. Uh, we actually put out, uh, uh, we, we did a series on uh, a town hall uh, through our CPX initiative, our Cybersecurity Policy Exchange Initiative, uh, where we share all our videos through um, uh, YouTube as well. It's uh, just uh, check again for Rogers Cybersecure Catalyst on YouTube and you will find our channel there. Perfect. Now, is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to uh, share? No, no, I think this is great. I, I will continue to say, I think this is exciting times. We are going to see things change, evolve, uh, innovate. Uh, and I think uh, back to what I was saying earlier, and this is you know my personal take on it, which is uh, of course, cybersecurity has a fear-based element to it, and we use it sometimes to speak to people, uh, to educate them. But generally, I think it's an exciting time for our industry. It's one that I think is filled with a lot of opportunity, a lot of growth, and a lot of new things coming our way. And I always want to keep that at top of mind, along with all the other you know, things that we have to do to address 
uh, things like attacks. But I'm really excited about about the possibilities as much as I am of, of the little things that we're concerned about. Yeah, same here. And I think, you know, you know, when it comes to on my side, I do a lot of sales and uh, being an account manager, you don't want to lead with the fear. You don't want to you lead, want to lead, like you said, with education and value and provide, you know, knowledge. Right. But then I know, you know, some industry, some people, some kind of areas of demographic, you got to kind of get them a little bit scared to make those changes. Like when we're talking about younger kids, yeah. I'll use that for an example, just just so they're more cautious. It's like the stove is hot. Don't put your hand there. Hold on a second. Ow, it's hot. I told you it's hot. Don't do that. Right. It's kind of that analogy. I, I tell people, you know, the ones that are more educated, more aware, it's more about value and education, but the ones that are kind of making the mistake over and over again, it's okay. You got to stop. Like there's got to be an accountability. There's got to be a little bit of, you know, something to kind of make you make that change that you're going to stop doing that. Cause even for example, I'll just use this before we end off. We, we do a lot of searches on the dark web, right, of, of, you know, people that their emails or accounts been compromised. And sometimes with companies, you see the same people, right? And they're not learning that, hey, I have a Fitbit and I've done this and I was on this site. I'm using, and they're like, but you're using your company email address. Stop doing that. Like use Gmail, set up a, a, a you know, an Outlook Live account, whatever. Use anything else. But that's just too hard. I know my, I know my email account at work. It's like, Ah, and those ones have to have a little bit of fear based to kind of look, you're going to get in trouble. Like HR is going to pull you in. You're going to have that, you know, that meeting. You don't want to have that. So I think there's a balance of, of you know, education and knowledge. And there's got to be a little bit of fear when people are not making the change because it's and this is where I'm seeing is if you're opening yourself up to a compromise, who you out, who else are you compromising? Is it yourself? Is it your finances? Is it your family? And then if it's that, you know, with the company is the company, the organization, because as we know with ransomware, I mean, ransoms can get up to $50,000 in downtime of, you know, resources and business, you know, finances and remediation and insurance. Like it could just add up. But if you're not being aware, if I'm the user, you know, I got, I'm going to, I should be held accountable that. So there's gotta be a little bit of, you know, we're training you to make sure you're safe, but you got to follow that. Absolutely. And and I know we could uh, keep talking about this uh, for a long, long time, Brandon. There's so much, uh, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, this is a great conversation. Uh, but I'd say, you know, people, um, there's, there's two parts to that. One is, uh, of course, if people are unsure, uh, err on the side of caution, reach out to ask somebody who might know, uh, you know, reach out to uh, do some research, or reach out to organizations like ourselves. There's many others like us, but, uh, you know, reach out and look for stuff. We're always happy to answer questions. Uh, if, sure. if, uh, if that comes up. And I think the second part is the responsibility that's going to start falling on organizations and governments, which really is that training is going to be an ongoing challenge. We're going to continue to drive that home. But there's always going to be a portion of people that are going to struggle with it. And mm -hmm. as organizations, we have to consider that and start thinking about what is our responsibility to start thinking about, you know, that security by design concept within our products, within our services, within our offerings, how we relate and engage with our customers. Those are all going to have to be important parts because we'll never be able to really hit uh, everybody with, uh, with awareness and education. And we still have a responsibility to those that, uh, that aren't there yet. Right. No, for sure. I totally agree. And I think, like you said, it's just, it's an ongoing, which is, it's exciting. It's passionate for us, right? It's a lot of development and learning, but it's, it's something that's going to be ongoing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great to have this conversation and learn what you're working with at the Catalyst and just thanks for what you guys are doing for the industry at whole. I mean, thank you so much. 
No, this has been a fantastic conversation. We at the Catalyst are really excited about the work that's happening and the work that's going to continue to happen. Uh, and really a big thank you to you, Brandon, for having me here. This, this has been a fascinating conversation as always. Oh, you're welcome. And it's one of my goals, again, is just to provide education to the community, you know, and just share what's going on in the industry, what's what's going on behind the scenes and kind of like we talked about, kind of the truth about cybersecurity and different areas and aspects of it. So people really kind of know, you know, what's going on and have resources to be able to go like the callus itself. They can go and see all this information that you guys are doing, you're working on the education and all that and have resources available to them. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. We all have work to do. We're all doing our part and this is really exciting. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So guys, I just want to remind you all the information uh, about the Catalyst, the URLs, everything's going to be below uh, in the description. So click on that. Go check it out. There's a lot of great information, a lot of value. Uh, if you have any questions, send them an email, send them a message. They're great at responding and providing just as much knowledge, as much value, because that's their passion, what they're, they're really in there for, is to help people companies, you name of all different sizes, just help you understand cybersecurity in the industry, wherever you are. Uh, so guys, that's it for today's podcast. Uh, just don't forget to subscribe and like, and I just want to remind you, don't forget software is hackable, being connected vulnerable. I'll see you next daily cyber.